Hey guys, you're listening to Modern Animism Radio with your host, Laura Giles. Our podcast is where we zoom in on various topics related to living an animist lifestyle. We usually keep it general while acknowledging that different cultures and different people have their own personal spin on how they practice animism. But we've looked at it from a Lakota and Druid perspective, and today we're going to be speaking with Dr. Mark Wisen, a Germanic Dane who started out as a chaplain in the Christian church. Dr. Wiseman will share his unique path and perspective with us, but, you know, we always start off with gratitude. So let's pause to acknowledge the ancestors and elements. Acknowledge and give thanks to the earth for our homes, our bodies, all the physical, sensuous wonders that make a human life worthwhile and so delicious and beautiful. I thank you, earth, for sustainability, stability, groundedness, and giving us a firm place to stand in the world. I acknowledge and thank the air for discernment to help make sense of all the ideas and inspiration. Thanks for helping us to be detached so that we can live in wisdom. Breath is life. So thank you for the breath that enlivens our bodies. Thank you for carrying our whispers, wishes, and prayers to the other world so that our lovely ancestors can assist us. I acknowledge and thank Powerful Fire for the ability to transform, purify, mend things, and act responsibly in the mood. Thank you for our uh, will to make things happen. I acknowledge and thank water. Water is life. Thank you, water, for cleansing, for our intuition and our psychic awareness. I acknowledge and thank the ancestors from the human, plant, animal, and mineral wounds for all that you do that uh, we're aware of and the things that lie beneath our awareness. I know that we're always supported, even when we feel alone. So I want to remind myself and everyone to walk in gratitude for mm-hmm. gratitude. I give thanks to all our listeners for your support and dedication. And if you'd like to support us with a donation, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash cancer study and donate there. But if you prefer, you can review us on iTunes. This helps us to be found. So uh, let us know what you think. I hope it's positive. But even if it isn't, it helps us to improve. So please do review us. Every like, share, and subscribe on the podcast, blog, and YouTube channel really helps us out a lot. So thank you all for that. And if you want to chat rather than just listen, please check out our private Facebook group. It's called Panther Society. No big uh, surprise there. So we're super easy to find, and I'd love to see you there. So without any further ado, um, I'm ready to learn about Germanic Danish paganism, aren't you? So welcome, Mark. How are you? I am doing outstanding. How are you? And thank you immensely for having me on your show. Oh, sure. It's my pleasure. Thank you for being here. Um, there's so much that I could ask you about, but um, I guess we should start with some basic introductory stuff so that we can get to know you. So as I said in the introduction, you were a Christian chaplain, which is kind of, I don't know, maybe it shouldn't be mind-blowing. It was kind of mind-blowing to me. So can you tell us what happened to create the, if, if it's not too personal, to create a break there, and how did that lead to embracing your ancestral path? Well, actually, and it's not very personal. Um, it's on my website, so uh, it's kind of out there for international digestion, as it were. Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately, um, as I went through my studies uh, to get my doctorate uh, in, you know, the divinity and ministry, I began to ask questions, and uh, one of the greatest gifts ever was a theology instructor whom challenged all of our beliefs and really kind of put the wheels in motion for ultimately for Odin to find me where I was and lead me uh, back to my ancestral path uh, of discovering really what it was. I went down the the anthropology path, uh, looking all the way back to the uh, out of Africa theory where we talked about modern humans evolving out of Africa and whatnot and spreading across the globe. Um, And I I went back that far to figure out really where things kind of began to fall off the rails Um, and then kind of backfilled in a lot of the um, turmoil that has kind of centered around monotheism as a whole, not just pointing to the Christian church, not just pointing to any particular church, but monotheism kind of as a whole, how 
has been very violent throughout its indoctrination period. And that's what kind of led me away and saying, you know, that's just not what I believe. It's not what I support. And, uh, of course, as I came to find my ancestry, everything began to really make sense. It just began to put in all the, all the pieces to the puzzle. And, uh, uh, I've had some very good insight. I've located some of my, my family members that have fed me even more information about my personal history that connected very well for me and has now led me to a life of peace and, and happiness that I've, I never knew. I never knew it existed in, in the practice and, and uh, study of all these monotheistic practices. But I went through I them all um, in, in my quest here. I really went through them all. I, I spent time in the Nation of Islam. I spent time in Christianity, of course, being an ordained chaplain. I spent time in Judaism. And and ultimately, um, I was led here. I can relate to what you're saying about that feeling of when it clicks. And, you know, when you, you haven't ever seen this thing before, and then it's like, oh, you know. Um, but on, on the other hand, I can imagine that, that that couldn't have been easy. I mean, it's a shift in your whole worldview. So what was, it, what was it like to walk away from that? And, you know, I imagine you wholeheartedly believe it at some point to become a chaplain. So it, it sounds to me like it was probably like walking into the Twilight Zone. It, it was-ish. And, and what I mean by that really is that as I – discovered more, learned more, understood more, it was more comfortable being away than it was being in. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the practice and, and the follow-up every week that I did as a chaplain and as a minister, I, there was always a level of uncomfort. You know, there was always that nagging thought and that, that pain point. And it was, it was dulled don't get me wrong to a point where I, I thought it was normal Mm. until I began to explore um, my, my personal history, family history, where we began to, and things just started. It was more comfortable really to kind of, wait a minute, that that's, that's not how it is. No, Mm. no, no, that's not right. it's it's more like this. So it was, I wouldn't say it was really like being in the twilight zone. It was really like coming home. It it really, as I walked away from, from that practice into, you know, my current life, it was really a comfort. I was, I was home. Things made sense. Things were in the right place. You were in the right order and, and things, you know, it just felt normal. (laughs) And so um, we had a, my family and I had a very uh, emotional um, departure from that practice in that so there were a lot of upset people. Too? I'm sorry? Are you, are you saying that your family converted too? Yes. Oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, we all... Um, well, I walked away, I, I was kind of, you know, I was in leadership roles in the monotheistic practices. And when I kind of started questioning things and start stepping away, of course, I, you know, my partner in life is my wife. So we communicated daily about it. And uh, as I stepped away, once I decided to step away for good, she was still kind of on the fence. But she was, you know, she had raised her whole life. I mean, she'd grown up her whole life in that practice. So it was a little bit more challenging. And she didn't have what I had. She didn't have this ancestral path that was calling me home, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the the downside was is that they, the 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 members of that practice, decided to just go all in and made it hell literally on mm-hmm. earth, my family, my ch- young children at the time, mm-hmm. and they just made it miserable. And how, you know, I, 
we, we are talking about upside down crosses on the doorstep, miserable. Mm. And I was like, you're kidding, right? I mean, I, I get it back in France and, you know, like the 1300s, I get this, this was okay. I got it, but uh, we're not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Grow up. I don't know. I don't know how to say that, you know, to a whole practice, a whole congregation. Um, they called me at work. They called my employer. They, I mean, we are talking all in. And uh, the, the, the good news for me out of that, A, it convinced me that I was right. <laughs> and no. then, but B, it convinced my wife that I was right. Mm-hmm. And so um, our, our migration home um, really became that much more, uh, as a family, uh, that much more simple, particularly mm-hmm. given the fact that, as I explained to her, many, 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 actually, I would say 90% of Christian practices are not Christian. They're Norse. So Christmas trees, Norse. You, you know, the, the fireplace, the stockings, the, the heavy guy, although not as heavy as they portray him on Coke bottles, visits you on, on that eve. Those events, Easter even, those events are actually Norse practices, Germanic Dane. I mean, uh, Easter was the spring planting. And then you get later, um, you get the fall harvest and all of these events. And then, of course, you know, Christmas leading right into the new year. All of those events were pre-Christian by, by centuries. And mm-hmm. so what? the Christian church did is they adopted all of them to sell their new fandangled practice to the heathens of the world at that time. Mm-hmm. And so they adopted all of these customs and all of these practices from the local organizations, which mostly at that time, as the migratory path out of the Middle East came north, was the Germanic tribes outside of Rome, outside of the Roman influence. And those were all Germanic Danes. And most of those practices you see in Christianity practiced every day. Mm-hmm. And so for my wife and even my young children at the time, it, it was kind of a no brainer. Um, nothing really changed other than that, you know, the names were, changed to reflect reality in lieu of what we had been told for many, many years. So it was really a coming home for, for my wife and I, even my wife eventually got to a place where she's, this is where we are. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's a, it's a good place. It's a happy place. And it's much more peaceful. Um, We're at home, not as much angst, certainly. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned so your wife. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I find it interesting. So you mentioned your wife, and I find it interesting that you talk about um, separating males and females on your website. And I, I think do. that could be a controversial topic in today's world. So can you give us some context on that and how that fits in, if it is a part of the uh, Germanic Danish paganism? Well. It it is uh, women and men served, you know, um, very different roles in Germanic Dane ancestry. However, most people think, oh, man superior, woman inferior, and that's that's an incorrect assumption. Vikings, even throughout the age of the Vikings, up to about a thousand ninety six ish. Vikings and the Scandinavian people, they were equal. They are equal partners. Uh, a woman had every right that men do. They went to battle. Um, and most often what people fail to think about, and which just stunts my growth, really, is that while the men were out doing all the raids that you hear about in the Viking tales and all of that, women were home if they weren't in battle scratch, let me caveat by saying that, if they weren't in battle with their husbands or their clan, they were at home 
keeping care of the farm from invaders, from predators. They were doing the work. They were doing all the work, raising the children. They were, they were a land upon themselves. And so in Viking culture, women have every right that a man does. It's the fact of life. Um, and it's not until after, um, you know, Bluetooth, probably a little bit before Harold, the Bluetooth of, of Danish descent, before he came to power, um, you, you actually see as the Christian church takes over in Denmark, that role then changes. And they kind of foster in this levels of, you know, uh, um, social standings where women began to lose some of those rights. In the Vikings, Vikings moved west from Denmark and Norway and Sweden, obviously through England, Scotland, on into Iceland and Greenland, and ultimately, as we know, Eric discovered um, what became North America. And as those practices moved west, they kind of stayed. And it wasn't until the, ultimately the Christian church caught up to them that that began to change. So we find in many cultures, Germanic Danes being one, um, where everyone's on equal ground. I mean, that's why I say my wife is my partner. She's, she's half of this operation that we have. So, um, and I do know beyond a shadow of a doubt that she is completely capable of, of carrying the load if I was injured or whatever the case or sick, because we know us big guys are kind of babies when we get sick. She can carry the load very comfortably. Um, and, and I have no fears of that. I have no, no questions, no qualms. Whereas I've always been told, Oh, you know, she has her place. I have mine. And that's, that's just not the case. So, so did, um, did I misunderstand about the, so it sounds like you're saying that men and women are equal, they um, are. but I thought I read that you said that they were separate. They are different for obvious reasons. Women obviously bear children and they have mm -hmm. different functions. They also have a different function in that they are emotionally much more capable than their male counterparts. Their male counterparts, in, and I'm going to stereotype here, but predominantly uh, in the Norse um, culture, men were, they were big, they were strong, they were powerful, they were healthy. And so whereas the men typically carried the strength women carried the emotional uh, knowledge and wisdom to then sort out men were kind of brute strength. Women were kind of the thinkers and the, the wise uh, because they had the emotional knowledge that men didn't possess. And why I don't know, but it, it has created differences. And I think to some extent it's what drove the Christian church to do what they did. Got it. Okay. Okay. Does that help explain what I said? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So how I, 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 is? Go ahead. No, I was I was just making sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how important is? Um, so you said you came home. How important is the DNA or ancestry is for that? So if let's say that I um, I am from I don't know. Uh, Turkey, <laughs> okay. But I have no connection, no spiritual connection to Turkey. It, it is that is that something that you think it it definitely follows the blood, or is it is it different from person to person, or how how did you how did you find your you know this well, is it, it just speaks with you or, or yeah no that's that's great that's a great question is how do you associate and what in my case. I came back and did the ancestral thing. I had already kind of gone my path um, from an academic standpoint. I had gone my path 
And then I was like, man, this really makes sense. Could there be? And so I kind of backfilled with my DNA um, to kind of fill in the voids. And the other great thing about that for me has been that it connected me to others within my family tree that have been separated from me for my whole life. And so I finally got to meet some family members who, who can, you know, kind of give some real life, real world, real, real life culture, working, living culture that I was able to kind of adopt. What, what I think a lot of people get kind of spun up around the axle um, when it comes to DNA um, and doing the DNA tests and the, the whole heritage thing is that people seem to think that if you were born and you know, I'll use myself as a, as an example, as a Dane, and I was, you know, I was born in, in Denmark, in, in Southern Denmark, that that, in of itself is the only way to kind of be a Dane. And what people, I think they get really spun up around the axle and they say, Oh, well, you're only 50% this or 40% that or 30 or that. And what, what fails to sink in is that back in the day, if you go back to the age of the the Vikings and a stranger comes into town. Okay. And yes, it's a small little town and everybody knows each other. And, oh, here's this stranger. Well, how does this stranger act? Is he pleasant? Is he, you know, is he healthy? Is whatever, right? And so if it's all good and he kind of checks out, so to speak, he's adopted into that group. Doesn't matter where it came from. It, it, it matters not what's in his blood. Is he willing to help the community? Is he willing to stand with with the uh, other members of the clan against foreign enemies? Is he willing to, you know, pull a till and, and, and plant the seeds and, and do the work? And, or is he just lounging around thinking that we're all going to feed him? And that's the way things are. Well, if he was committed to the clan and, and, you know, actually provided help to the clan and everyone saw of a, a benefit to him, he was adopted by the clan. Hey, you stay with us. Doesn't matter what the bloodline said. Does that make sense? So it really doesn't matter what's in the blood. It's what you associate with, what you want to associate with. Um, I think is more important that, you know, you recognize and respect the culture and the heritage at which you're, you're going into. And if you do that honorably, you're part of the clan. If you're, uh, uh, as we've seen on, on uh, across the, the internet now, where there's these racist groups trying to snag um, some of the Aroons to, to represent their hate and their, their BS. I'm glad you brought Those... that up because I was going to. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's BS. That's purely BS. And it's, it's a, it's silly to think that anyone other than them would believe in that horse manure. But my point is if you're honorable to the culture and the heritage, if you want to call yourself a Turkey, you are more than welcome to do that. If you, you know, promote a good message about being a Turkey. And I, I apologize to anyone of your listeners who are from Turkey. I, I do not know what, they're called as a people. So I apologize if I've, hopefully I haven't offended anyone, but again, it's, it's, if you associate with it and you give honor to it, there, in the, even in the days of the Vikings, it would have worked that way. If, you know, you came in and wanted to change everything and nope, we're going to do it this way and we're going to do it that way. Then they ran you out of town or worse. Um, you know, I think um, that kind of speaks to the, the cultural appropriation because I know people are listening and going to be like, whoop, you know, <laughs> wait a minute. But I think I think respect goes a long way in in creating community and helping the people to feel safe 
in sharing the culture with other people. I mean, I get both sides of it. I wouldn't want anybody, you know, taking taking liberties with with my culture and destroying it or, or you know, misrepresenting it. Right. Yeah. Exactly, and that's that's kind of where you see these these clowns running around now who are who are trying to represent their hate in in a, a historical fashion, saying, "Oh, well, the Vikings were the no, the Vikings didn't trust me. My family goes back twenty generations in in northern Denmark. I I know exactly what they believed, and they don't believe in that. They don't believe in other people being lesser." The only way you can be lesser than me is that you're dishonorable or you're, you know, you're lazy or, or you don't, don't want to help be a part of the community. That's when, yeah, it's time to go. See ya. And, and in this case, these individuals are defacing uh, a historical, a proud historical culture for their own selfish needs with absolutely no clue of the reality behind them at all. None. I'm seeing that more and more on so many different levels is that you get people who have like taken a weekend class, read a book, saw a movie, and then the next thing you know, they're promoting something that they don't really have any depth in and then sharing really wrong information. And if you, they have a big enough audience then that misinformation gets spread around as fact, and it's such a disservice to everyone. It really is, you know, and one of the things that I teach uh, on my website is quite often is perception is reality. Yeah. Um, if I'm not part of your society, I'm looking at it from outside, what do I see? And what what can I glean from just outside your and with this misinformation screen being shown for us, um, it kind of well. Wait a minute. That, no. And so you're you're exactly 100% accurate in that. You know, uh, I hope uh, and I do know that there are some groups, um, some bona fide um, organizations out there fighting against these kinds of things. But again, it's an it's an ongoing battle. Um, you know, it makes um, these guys go underground. They they pr- still continue to promote this message of hate and ridiculousness. Yeah. So yeah, drives me absolutely bananas. It's it's you know, and what's and and this is probably a good indicator of how far I've come into my heritage in that certain things begin to trigger you, right? Um, so you start feeling offended when, when, hey, wait a minute, that's not how it was. That's not how it is. That's not true. And you start hearing these messages. Um, one of the things I was, I was talking with a student just the other day, and, and he kept using the word Viking. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm a Viking. I'm a Viking. I'm a Viking. No, you're not mm-hmm. a Viking. Viking today is illegal. Um, Viking was an action. The people were Scandinavian. Now, were you Danish? Were you Norway? Or Norwegian? Were you Swede? You know, where did you come from? Viking was an action. And it involved raiding and, you know, taking coin from the church, the early church of particularly England and northern France, and depositing it back into the bank of of the clan of which could buy arms and other things that it probably really didn't need, but it did. And so Vikinging was an action. So it's a verb. It's not a noun. So, um, yeah, that's one of my pet peeves, but, and that's funny. And again, going back to how far do you adopt when you start seeing these injustices, do you go, wait a minute, hold on. I need to correct you right there. And so that's kind of a sign of, of adoption as you're going through and looking at your heritage. When people dishonor it, you step up and, and you're counted. And that's, that's really what it's about. Well, another thing that stands out about that for me is 
the issue of time because cultures evolve and cultures come in contact with other cultures and, you know, things get mixed up. So it's like the, the <laughs> it's kind of petty, but the thing about braids, when people say, oh, braids belong to us and, you know, braids are all over the place. They, they had them in Egypt, they had them in Rome, the Celts had them, the Scandinavians had them. So who, I mean, Native Americans had them. So they don't really belong to anybody, but everybody has no. their own and styles. And, and so for me, it gets a little sticky around time. Like, when are we talking about? Yeah, and, and it really comes down to, you know, if I were, and I don't have enough hair, I think I got enough hair on my beard now to get braids. But <laughs> when we talk about braids as an example, you know, are we discrediting it? You know, are we, are we you know, bashing it? Are we are saying it's bad or whatnot? Or are we honoring it by doing it right, making sure we're learning the right techniques and, and those types of things? And, you know, the, the biggest thing is, and, and old phrase here of what is it? Imitation is the best form of flattery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's really what this comes down to is, you know, hey, if I can do my braid as good as you do, is it okay? Am am I doing it honor or am I discrediting it and and you know, showing a bad light of it. You know what I'm saying? And and so it it's it all comes down to, you know, uh, um, right now I'm I'm putting together a a sword as an example. I'm not a metalist or a uh, blacksmith or any of those things. I've actually never worked with metal before in my whole life. Um, this was just something that I felt I needed to do. And so I'm asking all these questions of people who do this. Hey, can I do this? And can I do this? And, and they're like, no, no, you, you gotta do it this way. You gotta do it that way. And, and I could talk to four blacksmiths, four guys who swear they're a blacksmith and I get four directly diabolically opposed answers as to how to do something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, you're all blacksmiths, but who's right? And then you kind of, right. you know, and, and it, it really comes down to where you're going, all right, what works for me? What works for me? How, how am I using or, or portraying the skill without discrediting it? And and so hopefully, hopefully when I get it done, uh, it, it won't be a discredit to anyone. Um, hopefully a little good, but uh, we'll see how that works out. Well, I think that but balance again, I, is really important. You know, yes. I, I agree with the what works for me thing because, you know, it's our life. But I think if you just give yourself carte blanche to just end there, period, then and, and not think about how it, does it dishonor anyone else or anybody else that's in, affected by what you do, then I think that's how we get these rogue people just coming up with all kinds of off-the-wall stuff that, that really doesn't serve anybody. Right, and it usually has nothing to do with the original point in that you're right, you're exactly right. And and I, I do agree that, you know, and in, in, I'll use my example again in my swords, as I'm cutting and I'm doing the things and I put it out there and the four different blacksmiths give me four different answers. And I call them back the next or I text them back the next day and say, here, look what I did. And is that bad or what is it, you know, is it off or what? And, and so I, I'm kind of still doing my own thing, but I'm kind of getting their input to make sure that I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm honestly listening to them. I mean, if they tell me, hey, don't do that with the metal because it's going to do this, that, the other thing. Oh, okay. All right. Move that one off the side. Don't use that. Or if, you know, another one says, nah, I've used it before and and you got to do it this way. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. All right. And then can you get those two people talking together and and they come up with an answer and then you go, oh, okay. All right, guys. I got a little bit from each of you and that's what I'm going to run with. And Mm -hmm. Everybody comes back and yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, good, good call. And so, yeah, so I'm, I'm actually at the pummel, so we're almost there. <laughs> so I think you're also into survival. Is that correct? 
I do. Um, I've spent uh, pretty much 30 years, 35 years in um, different security roles, emergency management roles, um, maritime security, uh, land-based security, high-profile high VIP uh, security. And so uh, got a lot of experience with those, those skills. And so um, I put together a show um, that's broadcast every week that brings up topics of how to build a community, how to stay safe, some tricks and, and, and uh, tips to get through um, the, the mental, because we know uh, survival really is a 90% game. Um, mm, it, mm-hmm. it, it's only a 10% of actually having physical resources, but really you, you have to have the mindset that you're going to come out of this. And so that's what I tried to promote. I steer a lot of people towards my other website, uh, my religious website, because I really believe in my heart of hearts that, you know, providing folks with some, some understanding and some guidance, just, you know, ballpark, um, helps them to kind of rest that part of their brain so that they can focus a little bit more on, on the things that they're going to need to do, particularly in a natural disaster or a man-made disaster, which is show I just did the other um, last week, I believe it was, was surviving an active shooter event. Oh. How do you do that? Some mental preparations to actually get yourself in the mindset to come out on top. And how do you do that? And so um, that was a great show. And it, it gave folks hope that, yes, there is a way out. Um, 90, what's, what's the number? I want to say it's like 97% of people involved in mass shootings are fine. Well, scrapes, bruises, bumps, but they're fine. Now, the 3%, obviously, um, there were some people that were targeted or whatever the case may be. That's, that's a, another story altogether. But for the most part, people need to understand how their own body is going to work against them in a natural disaster or in an event like that where your brain is going to just flood with chemicals and those chemicals are going to freeze your body. That's what they're designed to do is they're going to paralyze you. And so my goal, my job, my hope is that I can help people build checklists or visual affirmations that will help them to step forward to, to yes, I can't think right now because my brain is mush, but here is step one. Here is step two. Here is step three. And that they can actually get moving. It's also one of the, the, the uh, skills I really developed when working with folks who have very, very severe PTSD who have come back from a combat situation and they're, they're very trigger, very triggered. Um, and so I, I tell them, I say, your brain's going to be mush. So I want you to hold this card up. And that card says, stop and breathe, stop and breathe, stop and breathe. And so you're going to stop, take a breath, and you're going to help those chemicals kind of flood out of your brain a little bit, help some, some of the serotonin that's going to then flush those. It's another hormone in the body. It's a naturally occurring thing. And so you're just going to let those kind of wash away, and now you can start to think clearly and start making decisions with a, with a more informed brain instead of something that's just locked because it's flooded with these um, uh, epinephrine and some of the other really high-powered hormones that are going to block you from doing anything. So that's, well, that's kind of my because, hope. Yeah, I thought you were, when you were into survival, I, thought, I was thinking it totally different, like bushwhacking, you know, uh, foraging, living off the side of the land. I thought that's... What you well, are I mean, those those shows are included. Don't kid, don't don't let me okay. kid you. I talk about alternative energies. Talk about getting off the grid. I talk about. I'm um, just thinking of some of the shows off the top of my head. Um, weapons, uh, defensive posturing without weapons. Um, I talk about all kinds of things that you will need. Um, obviously, we always have to include the the uh, zombie apocalypse because it's it's lore now so we kind of have to say all right you know it's the end of society as we know it how do we move forward and how can we 
continue to move forward. And so we talk about some of those principles and some of those ideas. Um, we, but mostly my, my, my drive is that people understand that there is hope. There, you can do this. Um, a lot of people who call into the show or, or have emailed me, they're constantly asking, oh, I, I'm so little and I'm this and that, whatever. How can I ever do this? And, and there are ways. You, you, you know, if we're taught, um, my wife and I are both fairly substantial folks. So we kind of have an intimidation factor kind of built in. So, but what I tell people is when you're a little smaller in statute, it's little parts against big parts. That's how it works. And so, you know, when we talk about survival and we talk about getting attacked in a parking lot or something, there, there are ways. You just have to think it through. And again, survival is 90% mental. And as long as you got that mindset, you'll, you'll get through. And does this, um, the survival work intersect with the, uh, the Dane paganism? Yes, that's exactly where it intersects because my goal, again, as a personal, as, as a person is to give people hope that they can get through this. It's, you know, too often we hear news shows, we hear the internet who's, who's telling us that we won't win, we can't win, we, we're going to get trampled, and there are ways through this, and that's, it, it is, you know, as I've, my survival show has developed and the years I spent doing it, I really discovered kind of the idea that it, this is a mental game. And if you're prepared, you make these steps in advance, it's much, much, much easier to then focus on the card in front of you or your visual affirmation, and it gives that brain that time it needs to, to just do, flush that stuff out, and then you can really start moving forward. And so that's kind of the idea. Okay. And so, yes, one begat the other. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So if somebody wanted to explore, just like dip their tongue in uh, Danish paganism water, uh, where would they go? Is it like there's, is it like Christianity where you have a bunch of different sects and, and they're, they could be really, really different from each other? Or is it more like one thing? They, no, there are very different uh, breaths to it. And, and the reason I say that is I always go to the source. If, if I want information and I want the truth, I go to the source. So in my case, I went in search of what's called Forn, F-O-R-N, Cedar, S-I-D-R. And those are, that's Old Norse for ancient ways or ancient thoughts. And if you search those in the homelands, uh, northern Germany, uh, Denmark, Norway, um, uh, Finland, Sweden, and Iceland, um, those um, foreign cedar will come up. I mean, you can find where um, Denmark has a santru, which is the new kind of the embodiment of these foreign cedar, but foreign cedar, I guess, was already taken or something. And I don't know how the whole naming convention goes. But again, going back to the sources, Denmark, Norway, um, Sweden, all of them have foreign cedar um, studies that you can just kind of look at and review and see if it fits. Again, it's, it's a, I think it's a matter of, does it fit? Um, you know, mm -hmm. um, do, do you believe in what they say and, and what is being, and I really try to, when I advise people, if they want to look at it, Look at the again the source documents. Look at you know the sagas, the the studies of Eddas um, are the poetic Edda, the prose Edda uh, are two of the kind of major documents that came out of Iceland about this these types of beliefs. And but go to those. Whereas you know you can go out on Facebook and find Viking groups. I, I can't tell you how many 
times I get invited to Viking groups and I'm like, no, it's illegal. Okay. If you raid someone's house today, it's illegal. You can't run off with their gold like the old days. So, (laughs) and that's Viking. I mean, that's what Viking was. And so we travel to far and distant lands and steal their gold and bring it home. So, you know, don't, for the, the love of Odin, don't review things on Facebook. Um, I, I, I appreciate what some people are doing on Facebook, but the lion's share of those things that are available on social, particularly social media, but um, a lot on the web as well, um, are, are really, you know, trying to sell you some, something. They, oh, yeah, you, a real Viking sword. Yeah, no, no thanks. Mm. <laughs> you know, realistically, I mean, you know, Vikings, um, when they were on raids, um, they picked up whatever was sharp. They don't care. It, it wasn't like, oh, I have to have this particular model. No, it's just, that's not how it worked. It was, if it cut, it was good, period. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, by uh, a lot of these sites that you'll find on, like I said, on the internet and, and uh, particularly on Facebook are more driven towards sales. They're not driven towards I what was the that. culture, what was the heritage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I always caution people and I tell them, hey, if you really want to learn what I've gone through um, or what I've come to know is as the truth, firstly, and maybe I should state this for my own edification is that I had to learn Danish. I actually learned Dansk enough to be able to translate the documents. Cause again, these are original documents. They're written in other languages. Um, the Eddas were all written originally in Latin um, cause that was what was popular in those days in Iceland. And so, but learning there got me to a point where when I go to the Denmark um, Asantru uh, website, I can read the information in its raw form and mm-hmm. therefore make translations of my own. I'm not requiring someone else's translation. The downside that uh, I'm sure you're aware of is that much, 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 much of the documentation about Germanic Danes uh, and the Norse, mm, we call it heathenry. Actually, the Christian church called it heathenry. But most of that, 98.8% of it was oral. It was never written down. Mm-hmm. There were mm-hmm. some stones that were carved um, in most of the Scandinavian countries have at least uh, half a dozen uh, stones that were carved with the runes that you can you can read, but even the runes didn't begin to really appear in Scandinavia until about the same time Harold uh, uh, Bluetooth came to power uh, there in Denmark, and I mean we're talking the end of the Age of Vikings is about the time the runes came to really came to be. So. Um, much of the documentation that you will read about the sagas, the Eddas, the, the many, many stories, Norse mythology, they call it. Most of those stories are Christian written. They're not written by the, by the pagans right. of the day. Yeah. They're written mm-hmm. by Christians many centuries later. So mm-hmm. take that and, you know, kind of put that in your processing as you're reading those documents. Yeah. And do you feel, obviously you do, but how how does an ancient God fit in a modern world? uh, The values, um, one of the things that that we we hear and see um, in in Norse, particularly in the Danish culture, we have nine noble values, virtues, nine noble virtues. And those virtues we find again and again and again and again throughout history. So you see them in the knights of the round table and then, you know, the knights many years later, 
um, we, we find them in special uh, forces units around the world, even today. Um, so these nine virtues that were written um, or, or told in oral fashion um, really became the foundation of an honorable life. And, and that's really how someone who wants to study something so old and, and um, a very ancient practice in modern times, the shoe should still fit um, to living an honorable, um, interactive life even today. Yeah, honor never goes out of style. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Honor, truth, fidelity, hospitality, industrialness, self-reliance. Mm-hmm. I mean, those were some of the virtues that were described in, we're talking pre-1000 B.C., or a thousand AD, mm-hmm. um, and and yeah, every one of them uh, holds just as much truth today as it did then. Yeah. So I, I find it very easy. Um, you know, we um, my kids don't. Uh, you know, I let them celebrate Halloween. We we do everything everyone else does. I just mm-hmm. don't. I just have a Sunday open. <laughs> Um, I can, I can mow the lawn and, and work on the car. Um, Mm -hmm. so, um, I, I just, you know, and, and one of the biggest things that I left behind and I was, has absolutely provided me with the most relief you can ever imagine was the idea of sin. Mm. That has been the most awesome burden that I left on the doorstep when I walked away was the whole concept of Well, let's sin. clarify in case people think that you've, you've just gone full savage. What do you mean? Well, sin, unfortunately, sin has really kind of twisted a lot. So if you think about, particularly in the formation of the United States, the United States was founded almost originally on the Puritan way, which had the right and wrong, bad and evil. And, and they were very clear about it. They, it was, you know, if you were, um, you acted strange in, in society, you were goofy. Okay. That could be considered a sin by someone because, they might have some experience in their past where they found someone who was reportedly possessed and they acted kind of like you're acting. And so now you're a sinner because of that person's experience. The problem with that is you find a lot of people, and this is kind of where this is really going to fit is as I've done more and more counseling on returning soldiers, that's been the heaviest thing is that, you know, they felt, oh, they had to end someone. Um, and it was that, you know, thou shalt not kill sin. Mm-hmm. And it was very big. And it just psychologically train wrecked them mm-hmm. because it was so evil and so bad. And what, but whoa, 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 wait a minute. It was either you or them, right? Well, yeah. Well, wait, what? One of you is going home in a box by no choice of your own. I mean, this is not something you're just going to go hunt somebody down and do it. It's as you're in conflict. The individual is committing, you know, a crime by shooting at you or shooting at someone else. And all you're doing is ending that terror. I'm call me silly, but I don't see that as sin. I see that as protecting family and self. But these guys are coming home having lived their whole life in the, the, that mindset uh, of the monotheistic practice. And it's a, it's a psychological train wreck. And it's what causes a lot of the problems in PSD uh, or PTSD, sorry, um, is that they snap because you cross the line 
um, in their minds, you cross that line of sinning beyond repair. And that's really not the case. But again, the mind is, is programmed, you know, depending on how old they are, of 18 years or plus of this mindset. And mm-hmm. so um, one of the things I walked away from, yes, I still believe Viking is wrong. You can't raid someone else's house. But I don't, if I offend someone at a store, a grocery store, um, and I cut somebody off in uh, one of the lanes there in the, in the store, I'm not, I don't take that to heart. Yeah, sorry, you know, what do you want? I mean, I, I can't take it back, and I don't let it eat me. It's, it just happened. Sorry. Um, but the, the psychological damage that can be inflicted on particularly individuals returning from a, a scenario like, you know, even mass shootings, you know, it's my fault. I'm a survivor. What? No, 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 no. Let's, let's move that over there. Move this over here. You're not, you're not wrong. You're not bad. You got out. You're alive. Now let's talk about how do we move forward again, getting back to those visual affirmations, but ultimately it's, it's this whole idea of sin that, that has set laws. It has dictated uh, the good versus the bad, evil, good. That whole paradigm is set on very early translations of what sin was. So by me becoming pagan, that was a sin. Mm-hmm. No, 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 it's not. It's not a sin. Um, and so all of these different, you're, you're talking, you're taking one person's opinion, i.e. church leadership, and you're applying it across the board. I'm, I'm immediately, my example there is the Westboro Church. Um, we all remember them. Um, yeah. They, again, took it to extreme, saying, oh, you survived, or, or worse yet, you know, you were punished for this because it, that you were sinned. No, no, that has no application here. They did what they had to do because it was their job. They had a responsibility, and they, they did that. And they paid the ultimate sacrifice for it. It has nothing to do with sin. If you wanted to put sin in there, the politicians are the ones that started it. So, again, it, you know, kind of working with people and helping them to understand that their definition of sin is based on some really old understandings of what was good and bad and has just been applied generation after generation after generation to where we are today and ingrained from very young age, you know, um, taking a cookie out of the cookie jar. That's in. Not if I want a cookie. <laughs> it, it's actually pretty helpful. But, again, if uh, my mother had told me not to get a cookie out of the cookie jar, now I'm disobeying my mom. Is, it, is the cookie worth it? Now I've got some internal process, but it's my internal processing has nothing to do with sin. It has nothing to do with anyone outside of me. It has me. I'm the one making the decision. Is this cookie worth my mother's wrath? A, and how mad is she going to be that I took a cookie? But that's, those are my decisions to make. So it sounds like you're saying it's a social contract versus a spiritual one. It is more of a yes, yes, yeah. It's, okay. it's much more less based on this ethereal understanding of what somebody thought 2,000 years ago and more based on situational. Now, obviously, murder and those things that are dishonorable are obviously still dishonorable, and therefore I wouldn't even call them bad. I would just call them dishonorable. Mm-hmm. And, and to... Uh, Many um, Germanic Danes, uh, and, and particularly going back even further, you'll find that honor 
honor is a big thing. Um, we, we very much pride ourselves on being honorable and truthful. Um, and it's the way it is. And when you were, and, and there are actual definitions within some of the, the mythology and some of the older sagas that talk about people who lose their status in society because of dishonor. And, and those people were condemned to a, a, a different place um, until, of course, Ragnarok. But um, they, were, they were kept away from anyone who had any redeeming value. So mm. it, was, it was a very big thing, and it, it still is. Uh, yeah, I, it is to me. Um, so if people want to learn more about you and um, Danish paganism, where will they find you? I'm glad you asked. They can go to my website, and my website is http colon slash slash forn, F-O-R-N dash, the little dash thing, cedar, S-I-D-R dot A-K outlaw dot com. And that, that is my webpage, and they can, they can see all about me and my beliefs and, and my teachings and sign up for, for the show and they can, uh, they can see everything about me. And there's cool. also links on there that they can, if they choose to investigate more and they'd like to read the, the edits, which are some of the, the cornerstone documents for us, the sagas, um, which are stories told throughout time. Um, those are all available. Uh, the links are all there as well that they can download those and, and uh, feel free to browse through them. They're all in English. Um, so they can be read uh, by m- most of us. Awesome. Well, thank you, Mark, for being here, and thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. So glad you came, and uh, we'll be back next week with another fresh episode. See you then. Ciao.